Hello and welcome to Under the Wire, from my bunker to yours, because I know that wherever you are, you're probably in your own little bunker, thanks to what is happening in the world today and the insanity of coronavirus. Uh, my name is Meryl Dory. I'm founder of the Australian Vaccination Network and past president, and uh, I have an enormous amount of information to share with you today. I may not get through it all because I don't want to run way over. I know we've all got things to do this weekend, um, but I did want to make sure that I let you know that there is a lot of information. I have put most of the links um, in the comment box at the very top, but when I upload this to YouTube today, I will make sure that I put every single link that I'm referring to and several others that I won't have time to get to uh, in the YouTube video so that you will be able to access everything and since many of us are not working and many of us are stuck at home for a while, you'll have time to research this, go through the videos and the links that I'm sharing with you, and uh, just, you know, get all this information under your belt. So uh, welcome and thank you for joining me here today. I'm just, <clears throat> I'm just going to have a little drink here. Okay, so let's get right to it. The first topic that I want to cover is something that happened this last week in Victoria. Um, no doubt, because of the coronavirus uh, situation, um, the Victorian Parliament has passed in record time uh, legislation making it a requirement for all healthcare professionals in the state to be fully vaccinated, um, otherwise they are not able to work. Uh, there is a fantastic, well, I mean, fantastic in so far as the information is there. And you can see, I was going to say the reasoning that these people use, but there is actually no reasoning to it. Jenny Makakos, especially, she's the, um, the uh, health minister. She, um, yeah, Sally, no market in Tassie today. That's a shame. I was hoping that there would be markets still around um, the government did say that people can still keep their markets open. We have permission from the government to do that. But uh, I guess that some people have decided that it wasn't worthwhile. So thank you for coming, Sally. And I'm sorry the markets aren't on for you. Um, now, uh, I've got this document will be linked in the uh, information above and also on YouTube. I just want to go through a few things here. Um, the, the information that people have relied upon to say, yes, this should be passed, and it was passed. It passed both houses, and I believe it's just waiting assent from the Governor General. Um, I, I think that's the process for this legislation, though I could be wrong. Good morning, Adam. Good to see you. Um, basically, they said that people in the hospital need to be protected from the health care workers if they're not vaccinated. Um, but there is absolutely no evidence that the unvaccinated are spreading any of these diseases. And in fact, there is a great deal of scientific proof that the vaccinated are the ones who are spreading the diseases, at least insofar as the live virus vaccines go, measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, rotavirus. Um, it is the vaccinated who are placing others at risk, not the unvaccinated. But aside from that, the only exemption that is allowed in this legislation is exactly the same exemption that our children 
um, are entitled to, and that is uh, should you have an anaphylactic or a life-threatening allergic reaction following a dose of a particular vaccine, then you may be lucky enough to get an exemption to that vaccine, but not to the others. So, yeah. Hi, Sally Ann. Good to see you here from Manila. And good morning, Brenda, to you too. Um, oh, extended community quarantine here in Manila. It's, it's slowly, it's dripping in. Um, different countries are doing it at a different pace, but I think we're all going to be in the same situation very soon. Uh, good morning, Penny in Perth, and good morning, Julia. Uh, yes, that's all right. The, sh the information I'm sharing, I hope that everyone watching this will share today's broadcast because it is really important information that everybody knows. So the only person who showed any concern about this legislation is this Dr. Cummings. I think her name is Catherine Cummings, and she's um, with the Justice Party, which I think is, it, it had a different name in the past, and I can't remember what it is. Um, and I don't know if she's a medical doctor. I tried to look her up, and I couldn't find the information in time to um, share it with you during this broadcast. If anyone knows, please let us know. So <clears throat> she said that she'd had a lot of um, a lot of uh, information that was shared with her from her constituents, many of whom were doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals, and that the information was good information, and it was shared, um, you know, with references, and and you know, she thought that that this information should be taken into account before vaccinations are made compulsory for every healthcare professional, and. Um, basically, Jenny Macaco said, well, those are only anti-vaxxers that you've been hearing from, and nobody wants to listen to them. I mean, those were not the exact words. You can read this document. This is an excerpt from the Hansard that day with a debate about this um, new legislation. Um, and, and the information and misinformation that was being shared uh, some of it is highlighted. Victoria is obviously one of the few Australian jurisdictions that does not have mandatory vaccination requirements for its healthcare workers. Now, that's not true. No, no um, Australian jurisdiction has mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers. Most states do have policies that say that you need to be vaccinated in order to work in the healthcare system, but that is not legislation. That is policy. And Unless it's legislation, it cannot be um, adhered to. They can tell you that they want you to stand on your head for your eight-hour shift. Unless they pass that as a law, you do not have to stand on your head for an eight-hour shift. And as long as you know your rights, then you should be okay. There is, um, yeah, we will be, this is also Jenny Macacus, I think, we will be impressing upon not just healthcare workers, but the entire community, the desirability of people getting vaccinated against the flu this year. Now, my belief is that this legislation that's been passed in Victoria is the entree to making vaccination compulsory for everyone. Because after all, if Healthcare workers, for instance, need to be vaccinated against everything to protect the patients. Well, it stands to reason that the patients will also need to be protected to vaccinated to protect the healthcare workers. And it, once you know, if if the patients need to be, be protecting 
the healthcare workers, why shouldn't the teachers be protecting the children? Why shouldn't the children be protecting the teachers? Why shouldn't everyone who walks outside of their door have to protect everybody through being fully vaccinated against every single vaccine? Um, why shouldn't they? What is going to stop the government from doing things like this if we do not stop them? Um, and there is an Edmund Burke um, quote. I can't remember it exactly, but it's something like good things happen. I'm sorry, bad things happen because good people stay silent. And this is what is happening now. People are not speaking up. <clears throat> Pardon me. People are not taking action. Um, healthcare workers in Victoria are contacting the AVN and saying, what are you going to do for us? And to be honest with you, what are you doing for yourself? If you do not want to speak up about this, then you're going to be getting every single vaccine under the sun today and into the future and many times over. How much power are you going to give the government over your body? Are you a slave or are you a free person? Are you going to obey government orders or are you going to say when government orders are immoral, I'm not going to obey them? Yeah, Julia, you're absolutely right. Julia said that these vaccines are not protecting them. We know that. And you know what? I think Jenny Makakos might know that too. But they keep telling that same lie that if we don't vaccinate, we're going to be spreading diseases. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. Uh, what it, Kim Coetzee asks, what is our next step as a group? As a group, I've got to tell you, the AVN is a small group. There is only so much we can do. We need every single person, A, to join the organization if they haven't already, and B, to start becoming vocal. If you are a healthcare provider and you believe strongly that you have the right not to... Um, not to have someone tell you what you have to put into your body. Well, what do, what do workers do when they feel that work conditions are not fair or equitable in some way? They strike. They, they quit their jobs or they strike. And I can tell you that if I was a healthcare worker and they were telling me this, I'd be saying, see ya, bye-bye. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if, if one person does it, it's not going to make a difference. If ten people do it, in a small country hospital, that's going to make a difference. If a mass walkout is organized, this legislation will have to um, be overturned because they can't run hospitals without healthcare workers. News for you guys, you are essential. The hospital is essential when people get sick. The government at this point is not really essential because they are not doing things in the best interests of the population. So... We need everybody who is, who is affected by this to stand up and say, no way, line in the sand, that's it. I'm not stepping over this and neither are you. And if you don't do that, if, if you as healthcare workers do not organize and do not make a big noise, there's really very little the AVN can do for you, sadly. I mean, we can, we can spread the information, we can support you in any way that we can through, you know, providing you with, with resources that you can use. But when it comes down to it, you are adults responsible for your own bodies, responsible for the bodies of your children, responsible for the bodies of your community. 
And if you are not going to take any responsibility, there is nothing that the AVN can do for you. Sadly, sadly. Yeah, Penny says it's a shame they don't all walk out. Now, you know, in the old days of the unions, the beginning of the union movement, um, the unions started because they were they were dying on the job. You know, coal miners and people who worked in mills. Um, in New York, the Triangle Fire, where you know women were working in a uh, factory that made shirts and clothing, and the doors were locked as soon as they got in, and there was a fire, and I think a hundred women died there. And as a result of that, the union movement started in New York, and women organized into the um, International Garment Workers Union. So. Sometimes it takes a situation where your life and your health is at risk before you take action. But if you're in that situation and you don't take action, well, then you're responsible for what happens to you, sadly. Sally Ann says, just saw a study out of America. They are saying that there are greatly diverging rates of autism between poor and rich communities, and they have no idea why. Willful ignorance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and that's something that we will talk about in the future. And while I'm talking about the future, I will probably be doing several Under the Wires this week because I have several guests, one from Italy, one from the United States, one from the UK, who I'm hoping to get on the show who couldn't come this morning to talk about the situations in those countries regarding not just coronavirus but the law. But I'm getting really sidetracked, so I'm not going to look at any more comments for a little while. I'm sorry, guys. So I just want to go through a few more points from this um, uh, Hansard document. Uh, yeah, there is something here where they talk about the discrimination, the fact that this is discrimination. Basically, um, Cummings, Dr. Cummings said that what she's been hearing from her constituents is that there are both political and health reasons why the people who contacted her are saying that they don't want to take these vaccines. It could be because they already had a severe reaction to a vaccination, which is a health reason. It could be because they are opposed to the use of some of the ingredients in the vaccine, like the aborted fetal DNA or, you know, other ingredients in there that they object to, which is they, they, she considered a political reason. And Jenny Makako said, that's okay, because we have passed legislation that says that even though this may look like discrimination, it isn't. So therefore, um, nobody can claim that they're being discriminated against because they're being forced to vaccinate. We're not going to call that discrimination anymore. And hey, presto, it isn't. Um, so they, you know, talk about revisionist history. They are rewriting the rules of what is discrimination and what is not. And where does that stop? Where does that stop indeed? Um, you know, if they were to say that nobody who is black can uh, get an exemption from a vaccination, or nobody who is Asian can get an exemption for a vaccination. That would obviously be discrimination. But if they say, hang on, we've passed legislation, it's okay, that's no longer discriminatory. Um, that is what the government is saying they have the power to do. And I am saying that the government, and I've said this before, I'm like a broken record, and I apologize for that, but I think you all need to hear this. The government works for us, not the other way around. So we tell the government what to do. They do not tell us what to do. 
And in this situation, the government is acting in a totally immoral and unethical manner. And if you are someone who is affected, then you need to take action now. And if you are in a state that is not yet affected, keep in mind that it's only a matter of probably weeks or at the most months before this same legislation comes to your state. So support those in Victoria who are fighting for everyone. Um, and if that means that if they walk out, you know, help support them financially, help support them with food, um, make sure that they have a way to stay on uh, ticket, you know, um, picket lines, uh, whatever you can do to support them, support them. But they need to take that action and they need to do it now. That legislation has not yet been signed uh, by whoever needs to sign it. They're waiting for assent, and I'm not sure if it's the government, governor general. But if you can walk out, if you can take an action that will wake them up, do it and do it now. Don't wait. Um, all those healthcare workers who are watching this, I'm talking to you. Um, there is another, this is national. Um, this is a national uh, restriction that Scott Morrison has just announced uh, three days ago. And this is a restriction federally on aged care. Because of coronavirus-19, um, and we know that the elderly and those with underlying conditions are more uh, susceptible to severe cases and death of coronavirus-19, of influenza, of anything you can possibly mention. Um, crazy me, I might think, well, if we know that these people are immunosuppressed and they're more at risk, maybe we should look at ways of supporting their immune system and reducing that risk in that way. But no, what Scott Morrison wants to do is to um, place restrictions on people who are living in aged care and the people who come to visit them. Now, my parents were both in aged care facilities um, before they died. Um, and I know how horrendous these places can be and how they look forward to visits from loved ones um, and how it makes their day, absolutely makes their day. What Scott Morrison is saying is that visitors should be limited to two at a time and that these visits should be short. Um, and he says that that's going to be protecting the resident. And I say that's absolute rubbish. Um, the visit should be conducted in the resident's room, not in any common area. So, again, putting people into their bunker and keeping them there. Not only that, he says that there should be no social activities, no bingo, no cards, no games, no music, no nothing. These people are going to be stuck in their rooms. It's torture. It is absolute torture. That is the cruelest thing I could ever possibly imagine. No, no social activities or entertainment permitted in aged care facilities indefinitely and no large group visits and gatherings or visits for social groups. So what Scott Morrison is basically saying is he's committing them to prison. Additionally, no visitors are allowed to enter aged care if they've been overseas in the last 14 days, have been in contact with a confirmed case of COVID-10 in the last... 14 days, that's got to be a typo, or have COVID-19-like symptoms, or, pay attention to this, have not been vaccinated against influenza after the 1st of May.
Now, he is requiring that every resident of an aged care facility and every visitor to the aged care facility must show that they were recently vaccinated against influenza. And I'm going to go into in a, in a few minutes how that is such a crazy thing. So keep that in mind. But he is saying that you have to be vaccinated before you visit your loved ones and your loved ones must be vaccinated. And if you've been paying attention at all, you will know that every single year in Australia, when the flu vaccine campaign starts, the beginning of April, I think it is, um, we have situation after situation where 10 or 12 or 15 elderly people die within days or hours of getting the flu vaccine in aged care facilities. So he is requiring that all these people get vaccinated. Um, Sally Ann Scott Morrison is trying to kill off as many elderly as possible as quickly as possible without anyone seeing. Death rates are going to soar. Government is rubbing their hands. And the thing is, that those deaths will most likely be put down to coronavirus-19. Um, I can't guarantee that, but I'm saying that is my assumption that that's going to happen. So this is what uh, the government is doing. I know people who have elderly relatives that they go and visit in aged care facility, mothers and fathers, sisters, aunts and uncles, and they are now saying that they will not be able to visit them because they are no way going to take a vaccine. And what I say is, I don't have anyone in aged care anymore. Everybody I knew who was in aged care is dead. But if I had an, a relative in aged care, and I was told that I couldn't visit them, I would show up there. And I would say, I am visiting them. If you don't want me in here, call the police and have me removed. And I would be live streaming the whole thing. I would be on my phone with everyone running around trying to stop me from seeing my loved one, there is no way that I would be listening to that sort of an order, that me, as a perfectly healthy person, cannot go and see a loved one. That's just me. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm telling you that's what I would do. Um, they're also saying that you have to maintain a distance of 1.5 meters from the person because you know that... You can't possibly spread things if you are uh, further than 1.5 meters. So no kissing, no hugging, no comfort of the touch that these people obviously need. And Scott Morrison says this is a once-in-a-hundred-year type event. And I would say this is a once-in-forever event because even the Black Plague was not treated in this way. And for what? So th these are the sorts of things that are happening in Australia um, right now that are affecting everyone. Now, I want to go and talk a little bit about the history of coronavirus. And I'm going to be repeating something, so excuse me for that. But um, I'm going to be talking about the beginning and even before the beginning with something called Event 201. And again, all of these links will be provided to you. Um, event 201 was an event that took place in New York in October 2019, about six weeks before we were told that there was a coronavirus epidemic. Um, it was the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, so these are the usual suspects. And what they did was they had a, a simulation of a pandemic. 
in New York. And there are videos on the website. You can watch them. They're chilling, absolutely chilling. Because what it was was a dress rehearsal for what we're seeing right now. It was control of the media. It was telling um, social media not to allow anyone to question what's happening because that's dangerous. It was using an, a pandemic of a coronavirus. Wow, what a coincidence. A common cold virus that was going to kill tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people worldwide. There was going to be quarantine. There was going to be all sorts of draconian legislation brought in to control people's movements. And that was the only way that we were going to be able to combat this dreadful epidemic. So, um, yeah. Nazar I just want to share what Nazreen just said. Scott gives the wrong info. He says that Corona is worse than SARS and MERS together. And he got the stats all wrong, but he has the effect. Um, we need to write to him and tell him not to lie about these things, to sell whatever he wants. It is a lie, and to send him the real stats. Nazarene, I agree with you 100%. Um, we really and truly do need to be holding these people accountable because they are either lying or they are misinformed themselves. And as we discussed last week when we talked about how the politicians are saying that... Um, that the TGA thoroughly tests all drugs and vaccines before they're released, which is simply not true. We need to let them know that. And I, I believe you. I believe you, Nazarene. You don't need to uh, to you know say that you heard that. I believe you. Um, these people are either incredibly misinformed or incredibly dishonest. It's one or the other. And I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he's misinformed. But as prime minister of this country and the person who is trying to restrict people's movements. He has no excuse for being misinformed about this. So event 201 happened in October 2019. And then in December 2019, we had our first cases of coronavirus 19 being reported in China. So that was a very short gap between the practice and the reality. Um, and was this a plan? I don't know. I mean, I don't believe in coincidence. I really don't. I'm a very big disbeliever in co coincidence. Um, but <laughs> I think I'm going to leave that up to you as to whether you think this was planned or not. So what happened? We had China reporting that there was an epidemic of this new disease that they've never seen before. How did they know it was new? Good question. Um, there was no test for it at the time. And even when the test was developed, it was rushed through. One of the links I'm going to share with you is from a German virologist, and it's all subtitled. He speaks in German, but it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant, uh, about a 15-minute uh, video, and I really urge everyone to watch it and share it. Um, Wolfgang somebody, I can't remember his last name, but he talks about this. What happens is normally when there is a disease, let's say measles, okay? Um, and I have to tell you, coronavirus has been miraculous. Why? Because coronavirus has wiped out measles. Have you heard about any measles cases since we started getting coronavirus? Has Fiji had a continuation of their measles epidemic since the coronavirus pandemic started? No. It's amazing. It is just incredible. It's a miraculous virus because it's managed to wipe out just about every other disease we've been concerned about. 
but I digress. So when there is a test, um, they need to test the test to make sure that it is accurate, to make sure it's not giving false positives or false negatives, because both of those things happen. And that is generally a long process. They need to go through a lot of different steps to make sure that the test is accurate. With coronavirus, because there was a pandemic before it was even declared a pandemic, um, the test was rushed through. The Centers for Disease Control sent this test all over the United States and, as far as I know, all over the world. But this test didn't even exist when China said that there was a new coronavirus that was causing injury and death and morbidity. Um, so how did they know? Good question. I have no idea. Um, so this test kit was sent out and people were tested and they were coming back positive. And after that, it was found that the test kit was flawed. And many of the people who were told that they had coronavirus didn't. And some of the people who were told that they didn't have coronavirus did. But what I still don't know, and what I've been trying to find out, these are quick tests, you know, so you can get a result within 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Can that quick test actually differentiate between coronavirus and any of the other hundreds of strains of the coronavirus family? You know, SARS, MERS, there are so many different types of coronavirus. Can it tell whether it's coronavirus 19 or, or just coronavirus? I have no idea. But those are questions that we need to get answers to. Um, because what we're in right now is a situation that the world has never been in before where entire countries are being shut down, um, where people are being restricted in ways that, except in you know the former Soviet Union and North Korea and uh, Soviet bloc countries, um, we never had these kinds of restrictions. And even in those countries, they didn't have these kinds of restrictions. Maybe North Korea, I don't know enough about them. But, um, yeah, Penny says probably all people on the cruise ships were negative too. Very possible, Penny. They may have had the common cold, coronavirus, but do we know that they had COVID-19? No, I don't think we do. So this is what I call, and I've been calling it, this is me personally. I call it a scamdemic. I don't call it a pandemic because I have yet to see any evidence that there is a terrible, terrible pandemic that's going to kill us all. And the information that we're getting from the media, from the medical community, and from the government is seriously flawed. Uh, very biased and just a bit crazy. So um, I've got a slide out of order here. So we have this situation where um, people are terrified right now about coronavirus. And we are being told that we're going to see tens of thousands of deaths in Australia, millions of deaths in the United States, and tens or hundreds of millions of deaths worldwide. And we don't yet have a vaccine. Shock horror. So what people are being urged to do is get the flu vaccine to protect them against coronavirus. Now, think about this for a minute, okay? We have to change the flu vaccine every single year. This year's flu vaccine will be different from last year's flu vaccine because minute changes in the protein on the outside of the flu virus means that last year's flu vaccine will not be effective against this year's influenza strain because even though they're so similar, um, they're not quite the same. So we have to change the vaccine every year. 
coronavirus is a totally different virus. It looks different. It acts different. It, it is different. How can we possibly say that taking a flu virus, oh, sorry, a flu vaccine will protect us against coronavirus? We can't. But what we can say is that taking a flu vaccine and then being exposed to any strain of coronavirus can make the disease much more deadly. Um, this is a study from the alternative medicine magazine, Vaccine, one of the top medical journals about vaccination in the world. And um, in this article, um, it was a very recent study from 2017 to 2018 where they talk about military personnel. Now, military personnel are pincushions when it comes to vaccine. They get anything and everything going. Um, and what they found in this study is that there was something called virus interference. So in other words, if, if these people got vaccinated against influenza, they were like 36% more likely to get a serious case of an upper respiratory virus infection, including coronavirus. So that's a huge increased risk. And we're looking here at people who are healthy and young, people in the military. Um, what would the risk be for people living in aged care facilities? Um, it doesn't bear thinking about. I'm just going to look at some of these uh, comments now because I've fallen so far behind. Um, yeah. Uh, Penny says, this is going to destroy jobs, lose homes, marriages, and worse. And it is a crime. And it is. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, Donna, Donna said, time to walk off the job. Are you a health professional, Donna? Because if you are, I hope that you help organize other people as well to do exactly that. Sally Ann, here in the Philippines, people have no way to earn a living at the moment. Devastating impact. My business has stopped. So many businesses permanently destroyed. Suicide and homicide rates are going to soar. And I'll bet you the Philippines government is not doing much to help people. Um, yeah. So uh, Sally Ann says, I believe there is a different respiratory illness going around rapidly. However, can't see how these actions can be warranted. Even if there will be many deaths, mostly among those already sick, watching UK's approach with interest. Now, um, I'm glad you brought that up about the so many deaths because Italy is now being held up. And one of the people I'm going to be speaking with uh, is from Italy. And she and I are going to be talking about the deaths there. And I don't know what she's going to be saying, but I've been reading quite a bit about Italy. From what I understand, the deaths in Italy are very high. Um, now, there's a couple of things with Italy. One of them is Italy has the oldest population in Europe. I think the average age is over 50, which is incredibly high. I don't know what the average age would be in Australia, but I would think it would be something in the mid-30s. Um, Italy's average age is over 50. And 99% of the people who have died with a diagnosis of COVID-19 are over the age of 80 and have at least one pre-existing condition. These are not healthy people. These are people who could die from anything. And the fact that Dr. Wolfgang talks about this in his video too, the fact that when they do testing post-mortem and find 
evidence of COVID-19. And again, is that real evidence or not? I don't know. But the, let's, let's assume that it is. So the fact that they're finding evidence of COVID-19 does not mean that COVID-19 was involved in their death. Um, I, I heard a really good analogy many years ago. I'm hoping I don't mess it up. But um, every time you see a fire, there are firemen there. So you could very easily think, well, firemen caused the fire because every time there's a fire, there are firemen there. Well, the same thing with the viruses and bacteria that we find when someone has some sort of a morbidity. Um, we find COVID-19, but does that necessarily mean that COVID-19 was the cause of the symptoms? No, it does not. Because if we test our blood, our throat, our nose at any one point in time, we will find dozens, hundreds, thousands, I don't know how many, it depends on how many we actually search for, of pathogens, viruses, bacteria, fungi, all things like this in there. And if we have some kind of a symptom, there is no saying that the symptom was caused by any one of those hundreds or thousands. Um, so it is such a backwards way of looking at it. But Italy is now being held up as a reason why we need to control the movement of people and um, talk about making the vaccine as quickly as possible for COVID-19. Now, this is another article. This one's from the British Medical Journal. And let me just find it because I've got it in the wrong place. Sorry. Uh, hang on one second. I do this all the time. I get an article and I lose the place on here and then I can't see it except on the tiny screen. Ah, here we go. Okay, so this is not an article from the British Medical Journal. It's a rapid response, so in other words, a letter to the editor. Um, and they're talking about an article um, that was discussing COVID-19 and um, seasonal flu shots for COVID-19. And this person who wrote this is a required pediatrician in New York. Um, he says, we need to think beyond containment, but he overlooks the possibility that seasonal flu shots are potential contributors to the current outbreak. And he cites an article here. A randomized placebo-controlled trial in children showed that flu shots increased five-fold, so five times, the risk of acute respiratory infections caused by a group of non-influenza viruses including coronaviruses. So very much the same result that was found in that vaccine study that I just showed you from the, um, uh, the military in the United States. This one is in children. So children are being vaccinated against influenza from six months of age. And what is happening is that having that influenza vaccine is causing a five-fold increase in severe uh, or acute respiratory infections caused by many other viruses, including coronavirus. So we know this. So why is Scott Morrison? Why are the AMA? Why are all these people who should know better saying that we should be taking the flu vaccine to protect us against coronavirus? Does that make any sense? No, it does not. It does not make any sense whatsoever. It's just crazy. So... Um, I'm not going to play this because it's a fairly long video, but I am going to urge everyone to watch this. This is Ben Swan, and if you've never watched anything of his, and again, the link is up there. If you've never watched anything of his, um, he was a mainstream journalist. He was with, I think, CBS, 
and he's one of the few investigative journalists left. He he actually left the organization, or I think he was forced to leave the organization um, because he investigated vaccines. Uh, but he's got his own channel now, and he's well worth following. But he's done a fantastic story on the coronavirus and how the information that we're getting has been skewed. We're being told, for example, that the death rate from COVID-19 is much higher than it is from seasonal flu. And they're using a figure of deaths for seasonal flu of 0.1% or 1%, depending on who you listen to. And COVID-19, they're saying, has a death rate of 3.4%. But again, lies, damned lies, and statistics. What they are actually doing is not comparing apples with apples. With the flu, they are using suspected cases of flu. Um, so, for instance, there's a table that he refers to where it shows that there were something like 2.6 million cases of suspected flu. These were not tested, so we don't really know that they are caused by influenza, and we know that only a small percentage, we know this from many years of study, that only a small percentage of the uh, cases of influenza that are reported are actually caused by influenza. Most of them are caused by other viruses or bacterial infections. Um, so most of them are not flu. So if we look at the actual laboratory diagnosed flu, and I think it was 22,000, then the death rate from flu, confirmed cases of flu, was 0.1%, so one-tenth of 1%. The figure that they got from coronavirus was estimates of coronavirus. And, and so that, that 0.1 or 1%, depending on what country you're looking at, is the figure that they're using as a comparator for coronavirus. So with coronavirus, the figure that they were using of 3 4 or 6%, as high as 10%, um, they were using that to say that... Um, that that was the actual number of deaths from coronavirus, but they were again using estimates. If you look at the actual death rate, and I've confused you because I went to that 0.1%, the 0.1% for influenza, and I wish I had the table in front of me, but I'd have to go through the video and I don't know exactly where it is, but if you watch it, you'll see it. That 0.1% figure is the figure that is obtained from the governments and the World Health Organization in the United States. If you use the same uh, standard for getting an estimate for coronavirus and for influenza, the death rate for influenza was 10%, and the death rate for coronavirus was, I think, 3.4%, so or 3.6%. So the deaths from flu were twice as common as deaths from coronavirus using the World Health Organization's own figures in the United States. We don't have a government lockdown for influenza. We don't have a government lockdown for many diseases which kill more people than influenza. We don't have a government lockdown for medical error and adverse reactions to properly prescribed drugs which are a first or second or third, depending on the country, leading cause of death. We don't have lockdowns for these, but for the common cold, for coronavirus 19, which is yet to be shown to be as deadly as influenza, 
We have a complete lockdown. We have destruction of the economy. We have people's businesses being shut down. And I want to know why. Because nothing that is happening makes any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Now, we're told that coronavirus is a virus and there are no cures for any virus. And the word cure is a good one because people get viruses all the time and they recover from them and they get lifelong immunity to that particular virus in most cases. Not all, but most cases. Like measles, it's one. Um, they will have lifelong immunity or long-term immunity to the further infection with that strain of the virus. But we're told that there are no um, treatments or cures for the virus. And that is not true either. There, it might be true to say that there are no medical cures to the virus, though of course information is coming out now because there's no vaccine at this point in time. Information is coming out that uh, chloroquine, which is a malaria drug and which is certainly not a benign medication. There are many side effects to chloroquine. And um, I think it's called resenivir. It's a, it's a um, antiviral, that both of those are being used very effectively uh, and that they are actually curing coronavirus in people who are quite ill. And that may or may not be the case, but both of those treatments are drug treatments and they have side effects that are known uh, and sometimes unknown. There are other ways that people have been using to treat this condition. And I am not recommending any of these. I am not saying this is what you should do. But I am letting you know that there are options available should you choose to investigate them. This article was written by Dr. Isaac Golden, who is um, he's an Australian homeopath. And he's done an awful lot of research into vaccination and homeopathy. And he uses something called homeoprophylaxis which is basically just using um, homeopathic remedies to, uh, to treat and to prevent uh, infectious illnesses. Yes, Sally Ann says chloroquine must be used with care and not overdosed. I read today just double the regular dose can be fatal. And nobody knows what the dose is for each particular age group because it is not a widely used drug. It's a travel drug. You know, if you go someplace where, um, where uh, you know, malaria is endemic, then a lot of times you're given chloroquine. There is, and I'm pretty sure it's called wormwood, there is a, um, a Chinese medicine that, because parts of China do have malaria, and there is a Chinese medicine that's been used for thousands of years to effectively treat malaria. And I don't know if it can be used to treat COVID-19 or the common cold. But um, there again, there are alternatives to the drugs that may be more effective and probably are safer. So Isaac has written this article, um, Preventing COVID-19, How Homeopathy Can Help. And um, he talks about uh, the research into using homeopathy and countries like Brazil and India and indeed China do use homeopathy quite extensively. Sweden, I think it's Sweden, um, actually put homeopathy on their version of the uh, health services and they pay for it. The government pays for it if you take homeopathic remedies because they found that they're safe and effective. Uh, try doing that in Australia or the United States. 
uh, and you're told it's just water and it's not going to do anything. But um, so Isaac has written this article about using homeoprophylaxis to treat and to prevent infection with coronavirus 19. I am not saying that this is accurate. I am saying that this is something that you should be made aware of so that you can investigate it yourself. Um, in addition to that, China, um, one of the treatments that China used as a frontline treatment for coronavirus infections, and they used this for people who were very, very ill, um, so people who were at death's door, uh, they used a combination of intravenous vitamin C and chloroquine. And they found that people who were near death were cured by this combination. But vitamin C on its own in high doses administered intravenously have been shown since the 1930s to be incredibly effective against just about every viral or bacterial infection that you can get. I recommend people get Dr. Thomas Levy's book on this issue and read anything by Glenn Detman, who was an Australian doctor, or um, Klenner, uh, or um, what's his name, the guy who wrote Linus Pauling, um, because they've written and researched these issues for decades, and they have a lot of scientific um, evidence to show that intravenous vitamin C, uh, and it's administered intravenously because it's in very high doses, and if you took that orally, um, it would just pass through your body really quickly and maybe not do as good um, a job. So this article is from Orthomolecular Medicine News Service. Now, orthomolecular medicine is the use of vitamin C in medicine. And um, it's a fairly recent article, and it's talking about hospital-based intravenous vitamin C treatment for coronavirus and related illnesses. So again, there are references here. There is information about how effective this treatment has been shown to be. Take it with a grain of salt, research it, look at it yourself, so that when and if you are in a situation where you are faced with an infection that you are concerned about, you can remember, wait a minute, there is an option, there is something else. And that's the other thing. Uh, and I think I might have mentioned this last week. Many of the people who died or became really, really ill after coronavirus infections um, did so after they were brought into hospital with mild symptoms and then given both um, antiviral medications and antibiotics, uh, both of which can seriously impair the immune system. Uh, Marie said, how can you get it intravenously in Australia? You can actually buy intravenous vitamin C. It's in a powder in a, um, and keep it at home. And if you ever go to hospital, you have the right to ask that they administer that. Um, they may say no, but you have rights as a patient to do so. There are also doctors in Australia, many of them with ACNAM, uh, the Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, acnem.org, who use IV vitamin C as a treatment. So if you feel that you're ill and you want to have this treatment, don't go to hospital. Go and see one of those doctors, and um, you can get that treatment there. You may have to pay for it yourself, and it may cost you two or three hundred dollars. But what price do you put on your health? Um, it's uh, it's one of those things that that we do have a right to decide what not only does not go into our body, but what does. And no government has the right to tell us any different. So. Be aware of these two treatments, homeopathy, intravenous vitamin C, and there are more. 
Um, I use a remedy myself that is a combination of garlic, calendula, and cayenne pepper that kills everything. It's killed MRSA, MRSA, um, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, something that you know we're told is not able to be killed, and this remedy kills it. So um, there are so many alternatives to uh, medical uh, drug-based therapies. We just need to be aware of them so that we can make an informed choice when it is our turn to think about what's happening. So we have, I'm going to show you um, a video. I hope I can do this. Uh, this is, wrong one, wrong one. Bear with me a minute. Okay, this is a short video from France. And what's happening here is that in France now, people are on lockdown and they need what's called a certificate of movement. So in other words, written permission to go out in public and do their shopping or whatever they want. This person who is down on the ground, pinned down by three police with a bunch of other police milling around them, was out without that certificate. <laughs> So this is what's happening in France right now. Um, the government there has said that they want to protect the health of the French people by actually stopping them from going out in public um, because of coronavirus, because of a virus that, as I've said, there is very little evidence that it is anywhere near as deadly or dangerous as we've been told. Um, so. Because of coronavirus, the government is telling us they have control over where we go, when we go there, and uh, what we do when we get there. And Australia is very close to doing that as well. They're not, we're not quite there yet. Schools are still open, but we're being advised not to go into any public places. Uh, many cafes are only doing takeaway. Uh, Life has changed in a way that I could not possibly have imagined a week ago. Um, Sharon says, a lot of Australian military were recently moved out of Darwin. Do you know that for a fact, Sharon? Because um, I've been hearing a lot of rumors about things like that, but I'm not sure if it's the case, and it is kind of frightening to think about it. But um, this is some information uh, that came from uh, the Gateway Pundit, which is a, uh, I guess, a fairly alternative journal. But it, it's most of the information I've read there is actually quite true. And they've got uh, quotes and references here. Um, and this says here, I'll just take it back up to the beginning. It begins, CDC asks tech giants, Twitter, Google, Facebook, for location of U.S. citizens, which they can do through our phones or our mobile apps, will track whether Americans are practicing proper social distancing. So these 
social media outlets are going to be cooperating with the government uh, to find out whether or not we've been with other people. Israel has already has an app to that effect, and they've just activated it on all Israelis' phones, ostensibly for the purpose of tracking down, like let's say someone's diagnosed with COVID-19, they will be able to use this app to see who this person has been in contact with recently so that they can uh, take any measures they need to to prevent further infection. Well, this is very much um, the way that, that this article is saying that the information is going to be used. Uh, the White House and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are asking Facebook, Google, and other tech giants to give them greater access to Americans' smartphone location data in order to help them combat the spread of the coronavirus. According to four people at companies involved in the discussions who are not authorized to speak about them publicly. So this is an anonymous source. It may not be accurate, but we do know that Israel's doing exactly this, and it's through the government um, and using your mobile phones or mobile devices uh, that they will be able to track you. Um, and here's this article, which is from the uh, Daily Mail, or as I prefer to call it, the Daily Fail. Um, and this is, again, about using apps to, um, hang on a second, just trying to find this. Here we go. This is an app, and, you know, one of the things, we give up our, uh, I hate these ads, we give up our, our freedom um, so easily because they're selling this. I mean, it's like microchipping. A lot of parents in the United States want their children mic microchipped, and some of them are actually doing it. They have to pay for it because this way if they get kidnapped or they get lost, they'll be able to track them using a satellite, which sounds fantastic until you realize that, you know, it, it also gives you no privacy. Um, so this says new apps use location data to alert users when they or their children not go away, stupid ad, um, have crossed paths with people infected by coronavirus. So again, let's say Mr. Smith goes into the hospital and he's diagnosed with coronavirus. The app that Mr. Smith and you, Ms. Jones, have on your phones will tell the doctors, hey, hang on a second, um, you were recently within a meter of Mr. Smith when you were walking down the street, you need to come in and get tested for coronavirus and immediately go into quarantine because it's possible that you've got it. Um, no privacy for the purpose of keeping us healthy, supposedly. Um, private kit, safe, developed by MIT, and MIT has been involved with a lot of breaches of privacy. Um, let those with coronavirus share their location data with health officials who then make it public in the app. It sends users an alert if they cross paths with someone infected with the virus. They make it sound like you have a choice about doing this or not, but I, I, if you have a choice now, um, I doubt very much that you will have a choice shortly. It notifies parents if their child has come within 300 feet of someone infected with coronavirus. Um, and it tells you what symptoms you should be looking out for so you can go and get tested. Uh, these are all very frightening um, threats to our very basic privacy, and uh, it's kind of scary to see what's happening.
Now, we've been told again that coronavirus is exploding. Um, the number of cases in the United States doubled uh, from one day to the next, and we're going to see huge numbers of deaths. Meanwhile, in a country of uh, 340 million people, I think there's just over 100 deaths so far from coronavirus in three months, which is a fraction of the number of deaths reported to influenza, a fraction of the number of deaths reported to almost anything else including, I think, lightning strikes. I think more Americans get killed by lightning than that uh, in the same period of time. I could be wrong, but it would be close. It would be close. So um, you have a more chance of winning the lottery, I think. But uh, this is Euromomo, um, which is a website that publishes bulletins of mortality, all-cause mortality. And what they have done is... They have looked at mortality across Europe. Now, we've been told that there are so many deaths in Italy, so many deaths in so many other countries, Greece, Spain, all of these countries have massive numbers of deaths from COVID-19. But the reality is that there has been absolutely no increase in mortality from any cause in Europe since the coronavirus outbreak started. Uh, that's not saying that people are not dying and being diagnosed with COVID-19. But the number of people being diagnosed with COVID-19 are not enough to even make a blip in the overall data for Europe. And they said, fair enough, there could be delays in reporting things. There could be um, people who have died who haven't yet gotten a diagnosis. That could change. But as of now, there has been no increase in the number of deaths from coronavirus, oh, sorry, the number of deaths all over reported in Europe. So we have um, worldwide panic. We have, I mean, my sister lives in Las Vegas. She said casinos have closed down. Nobody's allowed out in the street. They're on a total lockdown. I think that they're allowed out every certain number of days to go grocery shopping and that's it. Um, and they have to go straight from their home to the store and then from the store home and they're trying to arrange it so that Everybody can order their groceries online and not even have to go out of their houses. All of this for coronavirus, all of this for a virus whose symptoms in the vast majority of the people, above 90% of the people who get it, have the symptoms of the common cold. Yes, some people are dying. Yes, there are probably some people dying from coronavirus. Yes, these people could have died from anything because they were not healthy to begin with. Yes, it is very possible that vaccinations and medical treatments have contributed to these deaths. But we have shut down the world, the entire world. Nobody can fly anywhere. Nobody can travel anywhere because of a situation with a virus that causes the common cold. And yes, Sharon, 1984 and 2020, and I read this somewhere I don't know where, so I'm sorry for not giving credit, but 1984 was not supposed to be an instructions manual, and that's what it's being used for. Everything that George Orwell wrote about in 1984, and if you haven't read the book, I strongly suggest you do, um, because it was prophetic, what Orwell wrote about, um, and it's a very good book to read. It really is. I read it in high school, and I think I should read it again, but... Um, what he wrote about in 1984 is what is happening now, but what is happening now has gone further 
than even George Orwell imagined. Uh, in his most dystopian nightmare, uh, what is happening in the world is far worse. And I don't know where it's going to end. I really don't. I don't know where the situation is going to get to. Um, like I said a week ago, if you had told me that we would be where we are now, I would have said you were crazy. Um, but here we are. And how do we handle this? How do we actually um, fight against this sort of oppression? Um, uh, you know, we've been, we've been putting out newsletters, and we're going to be putting out a lot more newsletters um, about what you can do. And I've got to say that a lot of you have written some amazing letters to the government and gotten some pretty shockingly bad responses back from the people there. But one of the things that we've been getting a lot of from people, and I don't want to criticize anyone, but I really feel like I need to let people know this. Constantly, every day, we are getting letters from people saying, I don't know what to say. Could you write the letter to me, letter for me? And I even got someone who said, I don't know how to do a copy and paste. Just write a letter, put my name on it, and send it to me so I can send it off. And I'm sorry. If I had a staff, if I had unlimited funds, I'm sure that I could do that. I'm sure Nita could do that. But even if we had that money, even if we had that staff, we would not do that. Because what it's about is you taking responsibility for yourself. We can provide you with templates, and we do that. But we tell you, use this template to write your own letter. We don't want you sending out the letter exactly as it's written, because that will have no effect at all. <laughs> I know it was necessary. You didn't have to admit that. but <laughs> And I love you, and I love the fact that you wrote those letters and that you got those responses back and sent them to me. Thank you so much. And I'm happy to give you any help. I'm happy to give anybody any help I possibly can. But when it comes down to it, just like the healthcare workers in Victoria, just like the people whose children can't go to preschool and childcare. And I had a, a slide, but I don't know what I did with it. Um, right now, the government has just announced, <laughs> this was in The Guardian, and there will be a link to it. I don't know what I did with the, um, the window. But uh, in The Guardian, it said that because if schools close in Australia and people have to keep their children home from childcare, unless their children are fully vaccinated, they won't get government, the government benefits of childcare allowance. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. We were told that no jab, no pay was put in to protect the other kids, the other fully vaccinated kids in childcare. If you're telling us that we won't get the government payments if we have to keep our children home unless they're fully vaccinated and they're not around other children, well, isn't it very obvious to anyone, I mean, Blind Freddy could see it, that this has nothing to do with protecting the children. This has everything to do with punishing parents who are not doing what their government masters have told them to do. And I think it is just so obvious that that is what is happening. Um, so what it comes down to is, and, and if we're home now, we can't go out to work. We can't send our children to school. We can't go anywhere. We have no excuse. We have to do our research. We have to start writing letters. We have to call into Talkback Radio. Be brave. Just do it. The first time you do it, you'll be scared witless. After that, you'll be fine. 
do it. Call in. Tell them all this information. Share it because the people who are listening to those stations have probably never heard anything that we've talked about here today. And they need to know that because this is life-saving information. This is world-changing information for the better. Right now, our world has changed for the worse in ways that I don't think any of us could have foreseen. But we can play a role in changing things for the better if we speak up. Yes, Sharon says, call into more than one. Get online. Type in Talkback Radio Australia and start calling into some of those stations. They don't even have to be in your area. Just do it. Yes, and, she's, and Sharon says you can phone interstate national programs. Do it. Um, the more people who call in, the more chance of them actually allowing people on. Uh, because there is a, a lot of censorship over this issue, so they may not want to talk to you, but if they get one call after another, um, they will do it. Just like the more people who walk out of the hospital system saying, I'm not going to allow you to uh, force vaccinate me, uh, the more likely it is that that legislation will change. Um, and the more healthy people who've never been overseas and never been in contact with a coronavirus person um, who actually speak up and say, I'm not going to place anyone else at risk uh, because I'm perfectly healthy, uh, the better off we are with that too. Um, there is a coronavirus vaccine on the horizon. They have totally bypassed the normal uh, standard, which is a very low standard of animal testing. They didn't do that with the coronavirus vaccine. They're testing it, as I said last week, in 45 people for safety. Those tests have already started. And Senator Lindsey Graham in the United States, who is the chairman of one of the committees in the Senate, has said that it normally takes 12 to 18 months to bring a vaccine to market. They're hoping to push, push this one out within six months. There will not be any uh, proper safety testing. There will not be any proper effectiveness testing. They will get this vaccine out quickly, despite the fact that intravenous vitamin C, homeopathy, and other natural therapies have been shown to be effective against these types of viruses. Yes, Sharon, you are, you are on fire today, Sharon. Talk about your concerns based on the studies. That's right. You are not an unreasonable person. You are not an anti-vaxxer. You are someone who believes in science. And why isn't the science being done on this, on this issue? Um, and Nazreen, yes, we are stronger in numbers. We certainly are. We are not alone. One thing the government is trying to do by putting us into this forced quarantine is making us think that we are alone. We are not. We are all together. We are united. I don't know if you can see this. Uh, up next, mandatory vaccinations for all Australians. Speak up now and unite. We are strong if we are together. We don't have to be together in location. We are together in spirit. We are together in intelligence. We are together in activism. And activism is not a four-letter word. It is one of the strongest, most powerful words that there are. And we all need to be activists on that. Um, oh, my God. I can't even read my own handwriting. Oh, yes. Sorry. I'm going to see if I can find this slide. Um, and I'm saying slide, but it's not actually a slide. In the United States, they have just started this thing. Um, and it is frightening. 
Uh, hang on a second, I'm trying to find it. Oh. It is, I can't find it. I can't find it. I will put a link to it. Basically, it's, a, it's Wisconsin that started it, one of the states in the U.S., but I think it's going to spread. And it is a, a form that's on a government website, and it says, report any mass gatherings of more than 10. So if you know that one of your neighbors or one of your friends is at a meeting or something, it has a list of things, and it, the list is things like movies, uh, restaurants, uh, religious uh, events, um, just indoor gatherings in a person's home. If you know that someone is at one of those gatherings and there are more than 10 people there, they want you to report it so they can go there and break it up. And if that is not Orwellian, I don't know what is. Um, that's the kind of thing that uh, the Nazis would have done, that the former Soviet Union would have done, uh, Stalin and Lenin would have done, that Mao Zedong would have done. And they are doing that in the United States against the Constitution, and we don't even have those protections in Australia. So our government, should they think that's a great idea? And I don't see why they wouldn't think that's a great idea. They think everything that takes away our rights is a great idea. Um, they can do that here too. So uh, let's stop this before it reaches that point. Let's try and bring some sanity into this insane situation. Let's stop buying toilet paper, for God's sake. Um, you know, one of the things that I'd like to urge people to do, and it's something that I haven't done yet myself, but I want to do it and I'm going to do it uh, over the weekend, is to contact your neighbors who are old or infirm and see if you can do something for them. See if they need you to go shopping for them. See if you need them to pick something up from the store or from the health food store, or from the, God forbid, the chemist, you know. See if you can help them. They are trying to break up our community. Let's show them what community really is. Community is caring about our neighbors. Community is taking care of each other. It is not buying up the last rolls of toilet paper and pasta and rice, but leaving some for someone else, for God's sake. Um, yes, and Penny says, we are all so out of control, and Penny, that is exactly the case. Um, and Sharon said, we are informers from the government snitching on each other. That's what they're trying to turn us into. <laughs> Especially me, all those radical ideas. I'm a radical from the word go, Sharon. And I hope that all of you will be radicals too, because I think the world needs more radicals and fewer um, conformists. I don't ever want to be a conformist. I will do something because I think it's right, not because someone's telling me to. And I don't want to leave us on such a down note. So I have some very exciting news, very, very exciting news. Um, and that is that the AVN has, we haven't got it in our hot little hands yet, but we have a vaxxed bus. Um, and we are putting a down payment on it, uh, probably over the weekend. It is enormous. Now, I always thought that the Vaxxed bus in the United States was a Winnebago, but it's not. It's actually a Coachman, which is huge. It's about 33, 34 feet um, long. God only knows what that is, 10 meters, a bit over 10 meters. I don't know. Um, and we have the same bus. 
And regardless of quarantine, regardless of anything that happens, we are going to take this bus on the road. We are going to spread the good word about vaccines, about informed choice, about bodily integrity, and about your rights when it comes to your own body and the bodies of your minor children. I want to thank everyone, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, who has donated money to this cause. We have the money to buy the bus. We still need money to keep the bus on the road. Something that big is going to cost a lot in fuel, insurance, registration. So if you haven't yet given um, to the bus appeal, and I know the times are hard. I don't want you to go without food to do this. But if you have not yet given to the bus appeal, please do so. Go to avn.org.au and you can see it in our shop. I will put a link to it on the YouTube channel. I didn't put at the top of the page. Um, we also have, and I haven't sent out the newsletter yet, but it will be going out this weekend. We have a promotion running until the 31st of March that everyone who joins the AVN, whether it's a one-off uh, membership or a, an annual automatically renewing membership or buys a gift membership for a friend, everyone will get an electronic copy of Greg Beatty's excellent book, Fooling Ourselves on the Fundamental Value of Vaccines. I really want to thank Greg for allowing us to um, gift this to the people who joined the AVN. If you haven't yet read it, it it's a quick read. It's about four hours. Um, if you're a slow reader, four to five hours. And it's all Australian information, and it shows you so clearly that, clearly that when people say that vaccines save lives, uh, there is no evidence that that is the case. So um, anyone who joins between now and the 31st of uh, this month of March will get that automatically sent to them. Uh, as a download. Now, you, you have to click on a link. Sorry, it's, it's not sent to you. You have to click on a link. But once you click that link, you download it. And um, I was going to say something else, and I can't remember. Oh, if your membership is not yet due, you can renew early. And um, your membership will just be extended by 12 months from the time that it expires. So you don't have to miss out on the free book. Just renew. Um, and tell your friends, your family, everybody uh, about this promotion because we want to get up to 10,000 AVN members so that we can be the size of many of the political parties out there in Australia. And um, it will certainly give us a lot more sway with the government. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Julia said the bus will go everywhere. Um Trust me, it is going to go everywhere. We are going to take it not just to the capital cities, which we are going to take it to, but we are going to take it regionally because it's so big. We can sleep on it. We can cook on it. It has its own toilet and shower. It's everything. It is a home away from home. And we have a roster that we've started to set up. Um, and we are going to, Sally, trust me, we are going to bring it to Tasmania. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, I haven't spun that alpaca yet, but when I do, I'm going to get some more off of you. <laughs> and we're going to take it down to Tasmania and see all you wonderful people there in the north and the south and the western part of Tasmania. Um, we are going to take this bus everywhere. And um, just look, watch this space, because we'll be making more announcements about this as we get closer to the time. Uh, we still have to buy the bus, and we still have to register it, insure it, and get it wrapped um, and one of the things it's definitely going to say, which is one of the things that's on the U.S. vaxxed bus, is we are not government property. 
Remember that in your head. Keep that in your head. Think of it strongly. We are not government property. <laughs> Julia, you're welcome. Um, we are going to let people know when we're coming, where we're going to be, and we will have room for certain people to come on. It depends on how many people want to come on, but we want everybody who wants to come onto the bus to be able to come onto the bus, even for a short drive. Um, so, yeah, we definitely... Oh, Wayne, we will never forget Newcastle. Some of our favorite people are down in Newcastle. Trust me, we're going there. And that's going to be the first trip. The first trip on the bus is going to be through New South Wales, down the coast and up through, um, uh, I guess, the New England Highway, uh, not west, but shortly west. So um, we're going to be... We're going to be coming everywhere on that bus. Oh, you don't have to follow us. Well, I mean, you are welcome to follow us, but you don't have to. We will be letting people on the bus, too, for short times. Yeah, Tracy, absolutely. Um, I hope that talking about this bus has given you hope in what, for many people, seems to be a hopeless situation. We are in a very dark time, but there is light there. There is light, and we are going to try to bring light to everyone. And I hope that by ending this with the Vaxxed Bus, I've brought a little light to you. Um, as you sit in your uh, imposed quarantine, um, wherever you happen to be, <laughs> Brenda, you, you say we can park it at your place. Parking, it's going to be an issue because it is huge. So I'll keep that in mind, and you definitely let us know closer to the time. Dubbo? Bell is going to be one of the places we're going to on the first route. We're going down the coast, up the New England Highway, and Dubbo we're stopping at. Definitely Dubbo. And Canberra, we're going to say hello to ScoMo. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be going Tari. I don't know, but I think we probably will. We're definitely passing by Tari because that's, that's on the highway, isn't it? I think it is. I haven't been to Tari for a while. I think it's still on the highway. So we will be around Tari. Uh, Port Ferry. I love Port Ferry. Um, when we do Victoria, we'll, we'll do Port Ferry. Um, and we will go everywhere. I am telling you, this bus is going to be seen everywhere in Australia. We are going to take that message out there. We are going to spread our light across this country. Um, <laughs> I'm keeping very calm. You don't see my heart, which is going pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. <laughs> um, it is extremely exciting, and it is something that uh, it, it was like a dream that I never thought would come true. We started talking about the Vax bus two years ago, literally two years ago, and we thought we'd never have the money to do it because it's a huge commitment, and we didn't want to spend all the money that we had on a bus. So we figured if we could get our members to support this, if our members wanted it badly enough, then we would do it. And it's, it's a huge time commitment for us too because we'll be on the bus in three-week blocks, basically, uh, away from our families, away from our homes. But we're happy to do that because it's a fantastic way to share um, our knowledge and our support and our information with everyone. Um, Yes, Adam, it, the AVN and its members have brought about this. They've made it a reality. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is brilliant. And Sharon, Bill Gates is now a world health expert answering questions on coronavirus. Ah, bless that man. Um, it's, uh, it's true. 
So we, we are fighting superstition and lies with truth and science. And I think because of that, eventually we will win. Um, so on that note, and that hopefully very positive note, I would like to wish everybody watching this a fabulous weekend, um, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I hope that you will enjoy your time. I hope that you will make good use of your time doing research, following the links. Give it about an hour to an hour and a half for this to be up on YouTube with all the links. And, um, and hug your loved ones. Kiss your loved ones. Don't let coronavirus scare you. Um, we are humans and we are in charge of our own bodies. And we will show the government that they cannot tell us what to do when it comes to this. So I thank everyone so much for coming to Under the Wire. And as I said, please watch the AVN Facebook page and the No Compulsory Vaccination Facebook page because over the next few days there will be several more, hopefully shorter videos, um, which are interviews with people around the world about this issue. So you take care. Bye-bye, um, everyone, and I'll be speaking with you soon.